0: Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder, ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines.
1: Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where big victories come by stacking small wins on top of each other. I'm your host, Jeff Mains. I hope B2B SaaS founders like you scale ARR from seven figures, which is really good, to eight and nine figures, which is amazingly great. So that you create premium valuation impact and enjoy the freedom of running your business instead of your business running you. It was a Cinderella story for the ages as the George Mason Patriots, led by coach Jim Laranaga, emerged as the unlikely heroes of the NCAA basketball tournament. It's March Madness. It was 2006, and they were an 11 seed and really not expected to go too far. I mean, at that time, if you'd asked me if I'd heard of George Mason, I would have assumed it was a person, not a university in Virginia. But that was about the change. These spirited upstarts toppled Giants on their remarkable journey, overcoming the formidable Michigan State Spartans, toppling the historic North Carolina Tar Heels, and short-circuiting the Wichita State Shockers in the Sweet 16. In a nail-biting Elite Eight showdown against the heavily favored Yukon Huskies, fate sided with George Mason in a last-second miss shot, three-point shot even, by Yukon. It fell short, and it paved the way for the Patriots to claim their spot in the Final Four in Indianapolis. And no, they didn't win it all. Their fairy tale ultimately met its end at the hands of the two-time champions of the Florida Gators. But before this run, they had never even won a tournament game before. So unforgettable George Mason Patriots delivered a thrilling underdog story, inspired hopes in the hearts of fans across the nation. Just an amazing thing. We love a good underdog story. I mean, did you think they were going to win the whole tournament? I mean, I, re- I really hoped they would when it was happening. And the psychology of that is fascinating to me, that we really love underdogs and, and root for them. And the psychology is cool, but I think the reality of it is even cooler. You know, just understanding that about ourselves. We love innovators. We love people who challenge the status quo. We love those who dare to go where many will not. And I think there's a lot of parallels there with entrepreneurs. I mean, you look at overwhelming odds and you do it anyway. And that doesn't mean that we win every single time, but we're in the game. We're doing things that we've never done before. And just a little reminder that we're cheering for you. I'm cheering for you. So keep innovating, keep out thinking, keep out working, keep outperforming expectations because greatness awaits. Our sponsor today is Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a plan to scale your SaaS business from seven to eight to nine figures. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks. Learn to do the right thing at the right time to achieve profitable growth, impact, and freedom. Unleash rapid growth for your SaaS at Champion Leadership. Com. Our founder on Tuesday was Osa Osarenko. He is the co-founder and chief product officer of ClearCogs, a SaaS that uses a combination of modern data management, machine learning, and statistical tools within their AI predictive forecasting system to help restaurants lower their food waste. It's a great solution while also improving the world. And our expert guest last week was John Doherty, serial entrepreneur and founder of Credo and Editor Ninja. John brought great perspective as an expert and founder rolled into one. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. Good stuff there. Well, get ready to meet the ultimate jack of all trades. My guest this week is Travis Chapel. He's gone from knocking on doors as a salesman to becoming a highly successful founder, investor, speaker, and podcaster. As founder and CEO of Guestio, he's created the highest quality guest and show booking marketplace in the industry, all while hosting two, two top ranked podcasts and rubbing shoulders with famous names like Shaquille O'Neal, Rob Durdek, and John Maxwell. And you know, when he's not hustling, you can find him on the golf course, on the basketball court, or hanging out with his family in Las Vegas. Welcome, Travis Chapel.
0: Hey, Travis, welcome to SAS Fuel. Hey, what's going on, Jeff? Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how did you come up with the idea for Guestio?
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, I was a door-to-door salesman not long ago, a few years back. Uh, that was all I did was representing door-to-door sales, selling solar alarms, water purification. And uh, basically got to the point where I knew I didn't want to be doing that for the rest of my career and didn't really know what I was going to do next. So, I got into the personal development space for the first time ever just to, as a way to try to learn what was out there, what was potential and through that, I came across podcasting for the first time, started my own show, and the thing that was teaching me and the thing I was learning through became the thing that was actually the vehicle to help me you know build what I wanted to build and so we started doing uh kind of podcast coaching and consulting and courses for people once the show started going well and kind of realized that everybody had the same problem. They needed better guests and they needed to get booked on shows. So Guestio was kind of born out of, you know, direct need of the people that we were talking to on
1: a daily basis. So what is the secret to getting those high-profile guests that the audience wants to hear from?
0: Ultimately, I mean it comes down to relationships and how long you're willing to wait to get a guest from somebody before, you know, you Give up on trying to get them on the show. But the, yeah, that's the real secret is just a commitment to long term consistency. And, you know, there's some guests that I've been working on for two or three years that have eventually said no or just didn't end up happening. And there's some guests that I've worked on for two or three years that eventually said yes and didn't end up happening. So, you know, it's just a matter of uh, uh, being really purposeful about it, writing out a list and then actually making a concerted effort to try to contact those people.
1: So, should every business have a podcast? I, mean, I assume the answer would be yes, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Every business should have a podcast, even if the even if there's no intention of ever monetizing the show, growing the show, getting a large audience, getting a bunch of downloads, having a podcast is just the perfect excuse to connect with anybody that you want to connect with, especially if the people like the biggest people in your space are not famous people, right? So like if you're not trying to go get you know Leonardo DiCaprio and LeBron James. Then it's going to be much easier for you to go get the best names in your space, like the LeBron James or Leonardo DiCaprio of insert industry here, because those people are much easier to get in contact with, uh, and and frankly will be a little bit more freely giving of their time most of the time than these like massive, massive names that are actually famous. Uh, getting in touch with you know ideal partners or clients or Uh, Mentors, all that stuff is much easier if you have a reason to contact them. And the show works as a really great reason to contact those people. That makes sense.
1: I think a lot of people do think about shows as a vehicle for monetization. But if that's not what they're looking for, they think, well, podcasting is it for me. But there's so much more than that. What are some other benefits of having a podcast besides just monetization?
0: Yeah, number one is the network for sure. Um, the people that I've been able to talk to on my show would have never given me the time of day if I didn't have a show. That's hands down the number one thing. But other things would be uh online credibility. Uh just like having a show makes you perceived level of authority higher to anybody that's from the outside looking in. The content that you can create from it, everybody knows that they need to be creating content for their business, right? Like everybody needs to be in the content right. marketing business. Uh, but it's if you're if you're not a content creator, then the thought of turning on a camera, staring at it, and talking about something for twenty minutes is just annoying and uh, maybe even a little scary. Like it, it you're gonna have to prep a lot for it. You maybe need a team to come in and help you do a lot of stuff on it. It's just it's gonna be a pain and it's gonna be a lot of work to do. But you know, if you start a podcast and just interview people. The conversation is much more fun. You get to connect with other people. You get to digest information and learn directly from them and have a source of you know, knowledge and information coming into you. Um, ask them all the questions that you want to ask them. And then that 45-minute conversation, hour conversation, 30-minute conversation, however long it is can be taken and cut up into social media uh, clips for every other form of social that's out there and act as like the content engine behind your entire brand so it helps you with content, helps you with connections, helps you with credibility. I mean, there there's so many reasons to have a show. And then the fact that it could potentially also be monetizable at some point. I mean, that's just kind of the cherry on top. It's like, oh, if we do this for long enough and it gets good enough, then we can actually start making money off of just having a couple sponsors. And so it's, you know, provides you all of those upfront benefits with the long-term potential benefit of becoming an actual, you know, solid revenue stream in the business.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I do think a lot of companies really struggle with content creation. Just like, what do we yeah. do this week? And and with guests, I think it, it's super easy because they do a lot of the heavy lifting. They're the ones that are providing that insight, and sometimes they can just have one phrase or one sentence, and and that can be expanded into a blog post because there's there's so much there. Just thinking about something differently.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you don't have to be the one to say everything. Like especially if you're first getting started, you know, like I, when I started my show, I did 100% interviews. I did zero solo shows because like I was, you know, I was, I was at the very, very beginning. Nobody wanted to hear my opinion on things. You know, I was just a 24-year-old door-to-door guy. You know what I mean? Like unless I was talking about door-to-door sales, then my opinion on most other things in business was, you know, pretty useless at that time. But um all you got to do is go find people who do not have useless opinions and Ask them good questions, and then you can share that information, and then you become like the person that people are learning through, even though it's learning through other people through you.
1: Right, right. Yeah, you're that conduit that, that makes them accessible.
0: Yeah, and, yeah. And you're the, you're the questions. The, you know, you're the captain of the ship. You know what I mean? Like your audience is is uh, is on board for the journey, but you're also on the journey with them. You know, some people start a show and and they're you know they've already done something. They've are they're, they're already at the destination. And so they're kind of reaching back and giving their audience a roadmap to go get where they are. But you don't have to do it that way. You can do it as the captain of the ship and being like, Hey, I'm not at the destination either yet, but we're gonna go, I'm gonna go talk to people and we're gonna find out how to get to this destination and we're gonna do it together. Let's go on this journey type of a thing. And you enroll those people into that journey with you. um, And it has just as much impact.
1: I think that's really interesting. I love that analogy of bringing people on the journey with you. So it's not just information, but it's something that, that we're doing together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's
1: right. a, a lot of fun. So how did Guestio grow out of that? And you know, what problem do you solve?
0: Yeah. So we help shows bring on high quality guests. And uh, typically, the, they'll pay a speaking fee to the guest. So uh, essentially, the the big problem was like we wanted our clients and students to be able to book really big names for their interviews. But you know if you don't have any downloads and you don't have any uh, reason for them to say yes to the interview it's going to be a lot more difficult so we just kind of created a marketplace solution where if you you know are struggling to get your first really kind of big names and you can just go in the marketplace pay a few hundred bucks got a couple thousand bucks or something like that um get some pretty big names in your show so that you can you know all of your other guest outreach is going to be easier moving forward because you already have a, you know some of those anchor names and people that are that have already been on the show so it uh, helps you get in touch with people without having to wait two and a half years to get them on your show because you can just go pay them for their time like a, like a podcast speaking fee. Um, and then the other side is the show side where you as a guest can go uh, pitch and book yourself onto shows as a guest so that you can you know, promote whatever it is that you're working on, including your own podcast or YouTube channel or whatever. And you've had some pretty big names in your show. I mean, uh, Trent Shelton, uh,
1: John Lee Dumas, anybody in the podcast world would definitely know who that is Amy Porterfield John Maxwell Molly bloom um Shaq I mean that that's a pretty big name yeah yeah is, is this how you you started booking uh, those types of guests is doing the same process that you're teaching now
0: yeah yeah, yeah. basically um you know we've I've probably paid for less than five guests that I've ever had, but it's because This didn't exist before. I already had the resume that was that enabled me to get guests without them needing to get paid. If that makes sense, yes. Um, Like I built this for somebody who was starting because I would have used it when I started to like bypass. Because the only other way to do it is just take two years of time to compile a list of people that makes you impressive enough to be able to go get people on your show. So. You know, if you want to not wait two years and you want to do it now, then you can do that with Guestio. So yeah, it was it was kind of solving my own problem um that I had previously to starting or to to you know my show actually doing well. That makes sense. So what is it that you want to be
1: as a show in order to attract those kind of guests that are high profile and have uh you know large networks?
0: Yeah, credibility and authority are are the biggest things, to be honest. Like the people that you really want to get on your show, anybody that is strapped for time, they understand that their number one asset in life is time. And so you as the podcaster have to be aware that that's how they look at their time. And it may not seem like a big ask, but asking for someone for their time is like the biggest ask that you can have of somebody who doesn't have a lot of time. So you have to have enough reasons for them to say yes to giving you some of their precious time. And you know, obviously, the number one way to do that is to have a massive show with a ton of reach and downloads. That's why Joe Rogan can interview whoever he wants to interview, right. because anybody can benefit from an audience of that size. So, the larger your audience, the more value you can provide to the person that you're interviewing, for sure. But there's other ways to you know provide that value. So, like asking good questions, providing good content, doing in-person interviews rather than just exclusively Zoom interviews, so that you can chop up you know, like video content and give it to them. Um, you know, like a lot of those things are extremely useful doing uh doing other things that will add value making them feel better about themselves and their positioning because hey I've also interviewed these four people and so I'd love to interview you and then this person that you're pitching views those four people that you mentioned as people like maybe that are operating on a level that's above even where they are and so they want to associate up with those people you know that that kind of became my MO was just like how do I get to the highest level of people possible And then use the like leverage this credibility when I'm reaching out to a lot of people that I really want to talk to as well. And do I have I call them those anchor guests? Do I have those four or five anchor guests that I can talk to and almost anybody, you know, especially anybody that's in my ideal audience, anybody within my space, and mention a couple of these people, and they're like, oh no, no kidding, okay, yeah, I'm I'm happy to go on the show. I basically found if you have enough credibility up front that people don't really worry about what your numbers are, they'll just say yes to going on the show. Because it's not really, like I said, it's not really a factor of like how many people do you reach. For some people, it's a matter of are you going to waste my time. So if if you already have a bunch of big names in your show, then you're obviously not somebody who is a crappy interviewer that doesn't prepare for the interview, that doesn't know what questions they're going to ask, that doesn't have anything prepared ahead of time, that doesn't do anything with the show afterwards. You know, you're not going to be a waste of their time, so that it makes it easier for them to say yes without having to do any further research or ask about numbers or downloads or anything. That makes
1: sense. What makes a good interview? What what is interesting? What makes something interesting to people that are? Sure.
0: I mean, that's going to be kind of subjective. But in in my opinion, a good interviewer will make that person feel like they haven't been interviewed before like that. Like the the best compliment that I get from a guest on my show is like, I've never talked about that before or. Um, or like this, you like you do a really great interview, or you came really prepared, or you really know your stuff. Like those types of comments are the things that I like to hear when I'm interviewing somebody. Because the bottom line is, most people don't know their stuff. Most people do zero research leading up to the interview and leave all of the uh, content creation up to the guest without having any sort of research done on them, without knowing whether or not. They're even the founder of this company or they went to school or they like they don't know anything about that person. And so it, the, you can only get so far in 30 minutes if you're starting from scratch. Whereas if you've done a ton of research, you can start where most other interviewers are leaving off and you can go a lot deeper than most people can. And you can get stuff out of that guest that they usually don't get to because everybody's so busy getting like, oh, this high-level backstory thing. But if you go listen to six different podcast episodes they've done on other shows, you can get all that information because everybody else is asking all the same questions. They just wanna go talk, try to talk about things that they don't normally get make it to talk about. You wanna try to start the conversation at a point where most people are ending the conversation um, and make that person feel good about themselves. People will never remember what you say, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. And that's especially true in a podcast interview setting where especially where the person gets interviewed a ton. You know, if this person has been interviewed a thousand plus times, it'll be really difficult for you to like stand out in their mind unless you really come to the table with a differentiated angle of uh, a point of conversation with them. And that's another reason to try to do them in person rather than just on Zoom. Uh, But even beyond that, like you have to just come prepared and ask the questions that uh, that's going to get the best responses and try to get stories and, and and anecdotes out of them that they don't really ever share on other podcasts or they've never shared before. They don't talk about that often themselves. And by the way, that'll also make them more likely to share that they were on your show.
1: Because, because there's something unique stuff. about it. It's not like every other Correct. show they've been on.
0: Because there's no reason to right? Like yeah. at this point, I do, I do, you know, dozens of these all the time. I'm always a guest on podcasts. So I, I physically can't share every time I'm on a show. It doesn't make sense. But if Somebody gets something out of me that I don't normally talk about, then it's like, okay, well, you know, that one piece that they got to remember that was like, that was pretty solid. So I'll tell my team, like, go look through that interview. I know that there's a couple of good things in there and they'll go, they're more likely to go pull clips from episodes that I've been on where the host pulls something out of me that was actually really good. You, you, as a host, those are some of the things that you want to be aware of at that point as well. You're more likely to get introductions to other people in their network for interviews with their friends you're more likely to get them to share the content. It's more likely that their audience is going to find that content useful or valuable, right? So like they're gonna find it and, and say stuff about it. So actually, I was just looking at this because we're, we're we've never really done much on YouTube. We're starting to this year like attack it a lot more in the last couple of weeks' releasing daily content over on YouTube. And so we' I was looking at this uh, past video that we did back when we just used to do kind of spray and pray. We' just take repurposed podcast content, and throw it on YouTube without much of a strategy. And one time, one of the interviews that we did popped off. Like Every once in a while, we'll have one. So not like popped off millions of views, but this particular one was with Chris Voss, the author sure. of Never Split the Difference. Never Split the Difference. And I think the video got like close to 20,000 views or something like that. Like I said, nothing insane. But it was literally just a Zoom interview. We didn't... There was B B-roll. There was nothing visually interesting about it. We weren't cutting in and out. We weren't captioning. We weren't throwing anything else. Just like a 50-minute Zoom conversation split screen. That was it. And it got, you know, like I said, twenty thousand something around twenty thousand views, but the average watch time was like eighteen minutes. So the retention on the episode was really good because that the content good. that Chris was providing was amazing. So if you go read through the, I was reading through some of the comments on this video. Like I said, I kind of rediscovered it a couple of days ago. This was like three years ago we posted this, and I was reading through the comments on it, and there was several comments from people saying this is the fit, this is my favorite interview that I've ever seen Chris do. Or this is the best interview that I've that I've seen with Chris. Or like this is, you know, several people, not just one, uh, were saying that like this is this is my favorite interview with Chris. And it was just kind of like a obviously production value matters over the long term, but on an individual video it doesn't matter as long as the content's there. And so like because I, you know, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but because I prepped for the interview and did like an actual decent job as a host, the content got shared and it got viewed and it got impressions and it got comments and engagement. Uh, because it was something that, it, that most people had never seen this version of Chris that I was able to pull out in that interview. And so it ended up being our top... In fact, I think it's our top performing episode ever, even in terms of podcast album. Um, so it ended up doing really, really well. Uh, because the people who love Chris, they hear his story all the time from everybody else. right? So like right. It, it's going to get repetitive even to them. So they're looking for fresh content and information when an interview comes out. It was not only a high impact on Chris himself, but it was also high impact on his audience, and enabled us to get more shares, more likes, more views, more comments, more engagement, because the interview itself was actually something that you know he doesn't get into that often.
1: No, that's really interesting, and that's something that you could do again, so you know that it's something that's that's hot. You could bring him back as an in-person guest,
0: mm-hmm. totally down the road. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: You get that kind of engagement. But that's fantastic numbers, and so. When you look at at numbers overall, do you see you know is it audio is it video is it a combination or where do you really see traction in I, podcasting?
0: I mean, the podcast it's, itself, I look at it as being audio exclusively. Um, video, I think it's like a almost a different form of content. Like, I, you know, video podcast to me is just like a video interview show. It's not really like a podcast. I, I look at growing them as two separate activities. That being said, uh, I'll let you know in a year. Because uh, we've been doing five <laughs> years of audio podcasting, you know, this is the first time that we've ever really made like a commitment to attack YouTube. So maybe I'll have a different answer for you, different experience for you after we have a little bit more experience under our belt, kind of trying to really go down the video route.
1: I think that's really interesting. And and I like that you have that in two different buckets that you're looking at them as, as two different mediums, kind of two different yeah. ways to promote. Because the format's different. The way that people consume it, what they're doing is different.
0: That's the most important thing is the way that people consume it. It's like not even just the format. It's just that it's not even like the type of consumption. It's the, it's a different type of person. Like I do not watch YouTube videos. I just don't. Like even though I'm kind of the target audience, I'm 30. I grew up on YouTube and like, you know, Google video before it was YouTube and stupidvideos.com and all these kind of like random websites that had videos and stuff back in the day before YouTube was a thing. And then, you know, YouTube at first was just kind of like, a place for these random viral videos like cat videos and Charlie bit my finger and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So I, I watched it back then, but then when it started getting segmented into like this new this kind of personal development world, people had all these different channels for different things. I have never consumed any like any of the people that I'm a fan of, I don't watch their videos. I listen to podcasts avidly, but I don't watch a lot of videos. So it's just like it's a completely different audience in a lot of yes. ways. You know what I mean? You have to solve for different pain points because you're talking to almost two different people, even though they have a similar pain point. They just consume things differently and they think differently. So yeah, it's two separate buckets in my opinion. And the thing that makes it different too is that podcasting is like its own little island over here, whereas video kind of enables you to hit every platform. So if you can create one, that's why I love the podcast because if I can create one hour long podcast episode with somebody in person in studio, then like that. We take the audio and we put it on, you know, Apple Podcast, Spotify, all the right. podcast distribution um, companies, and then we take the video and put the whole thing on YouTube. But then we take like 15 to 20 clips out of each interview. Some of them three minutes to seven minutes long. Some of them 30 seconds to 60 seconds long, um, and then we post them on YouTube Shorts, Instagram Reels, Facebook Reels, TikTok, Pinterest vertical video. We take text from it. We do tweets. We do Facebook posts. We do LinkedIn posts with text. Like we grab every other content medium directly from doing like one episode of the podcast. Um, But those are separate things in terms of the way that we're thinking about them as a whole is like the podcast and then it's like social. And to me, social includes, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. The thing that you put here can also be put on these other six things. Whereas the podcast is just kind of like, it's like its own thing. You're not going to start posting audio clips. You know what I mean? An audiogram is never going to perform as well as a video on any, social right. media, on any social media platform. It's almost a waste to just do the audiogram thing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, because people are consuming things different. They're on a platform for a specific reason, the, the way that they want to engage, the way that they're used to seeing things, and then you have something that's out of the ordinary and it's easy to skip.
0: Yeah, correct.
1: So what is... Coming from sales into the podcast world, how did you land on podcasting? Was that something that that you had seen before? Were you a podcast fan, and that's
0: what drew you to it? it Yeah, I was a podcast fan. I I basically was like, I I was lost at the time, just trying to find. uh, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, really. And so, personal development was top of mind. You know, I was just like, whatever I can get my hands on at this point. I'm trying to learn about the world, you know, and what's possible, and how am I going to fit into it. And uh, came across podcasting. Uh, Just because it was like, oh, that seems kind of a cool, kind of like a cool medium. I just fell in love with the the consumption style because I could do stuff. I could go to the gym, or I could clean the house, or do the dishes, or do you know, be in the yard, or or driving, or whatever. And I could I could be consuming something the whole time. And it wasn't so structured like an audiobook where I felt like I was missing stuff if I zoned out for a few minutes. It was just very conversational in nature, still very educational. Um, I was learning a lot of things, and so I really just liked the platform a, a lot from a consumption standpoint. And then I figured out that people were actually making money doing this shit. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like a possibility. I didn't know this was a thing. One one of my first mentors and a really good friend of mine uh, now, John Lee Dumas has a show called Entrepreneur on Fire. And he uh, would have these calls to action at the beginning of his shows for his free podcast course. And so I went over and took his free podcast course and was just kind of like, I I like this. I I like the possibility or the thought of doing this. And the thing that really sold me was he had uh, income reports. On his site, which he still does, you can go to iofire. Yes, and look, all sure his does. Income reports from like 2012 till now. It blew my mind that somebody could make 200 grand a month on a podcast with like 70 percent profit margins. You know what I mean? Like the dude, when he makes 200 grand, he he keeps 180 of it. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. it's ridiculous. It's insane. Um, how how much profit he pulls off of that? And I was just like, what a awesome way to make a living, to make that much. Cash flow without having, you know, a team of three hundred people fulfilling a service that's really high stress, where your profit's going to be one hundred fifty grand a month. You know what I mean? Like to build a business with one hundred fifty thousand in pure profit is like really most businesses are going to have to be a five to ten million dollar business to generate that type of profit, right? Like fifteen to thirty percent profit margin is is what a normal business is going to operate at. And a five to ten million dollar business is a very difficult thing to build from from scratch. If you're not an entrepreneur, you don't have an MBA, you don't have any knowledge or know how or information or, um, you know, skill sets at the beginning. It's gonna take a while to get there. So it was like really intriguing to me that somebody could start this like podcast thing and make that type of money without having all the logistically complicated things about building a business. That was enough for me. That was enough for me. I liked that it it checked all my freedom boxes. You know yes. what I mean? So, like, if location freedom, time freedom, money freedom. Like, to me, like, you got to have all three of those things if you want the ultimate version of, of freedom. Some people have time freedom, um, but they don't have financial freedom. You know, it's like, well, what do you do with your time then if you can't go do a bunch of things right. that are cool to inspire you and make you fired up about life? You know, and then if you have financial freedom, but you don't have time freedom because you're a slave to this job, but you make $400,000 a year, but you're like, you know, working eighty hours a week—it's like well, what happens you a lot. Money that you have, so you do have time freedom. But then some people have time freedom and money freedom. But maybe the thing that they do requires them to be in a certain geographic location in order to continue making that money, which is kind of how right. I was when I was door to door or any form of a sales job, right? So it was just like I want to be able to like go to Italy for three weeks and make as much money as if I were home during those three weeks, and uh, and I want to be able to do it when I want to do it, and I want to be able to do it. Like staying at the four seasons, not like crashing on a hostel or you know you know what I'm saying like at least yeah, having the options yeah. to be able to do it I, I want I want to buy a first class ticket to Italy rather than like cramming you know because i'm I'm like six one you know two hundred plus pounds, uh like cramming in one of these coach seats in the middle, you know trying like for twelve hours on a flight, like I want to do things the way I want to do them when I want to do them and go where I want and and be who I want with who I want and podcasting seemed to support all of those things yeah. at, at that scale, obviously. I think a lot
1: of people don't think about work in those kind of terms of, you know, what is it that they really want, or even building a business. Really yep. building a business that supports you and your goals, not what you think that you're supposed to build or what somebody else would think is successful.
0: Correct. Uh, yeah. You know, what, and you add a lot of risk want?
1: and complexity and, and and mess with it.
0: Right. I think that's where the most happy uh, I'm avoiding using the term successful because that's such an arbitrary term. Yeah. The happiest, most fulfilled. Contributing members of society who live a good life tend to have the most clarity around what that definition is for them. And I think a lot of people skip that step, unfortunately, and they just kind of like head directly into the rat race because that's what everybody told them leads to happiness and fulfillment and meaning and all those other things that everybody covets, not realizing that that wasn't the path for them. You know, and then you you work for 20 years climbing this mountain and realize you you climbed the wrong mountain. And you're looking over at the other mountain. And you're like, ah, oh, actually, I think I'd rather be over there. You know, but now it's like, well, I'm already at the top of this one. What, what am I going to do? Right, Climb right. all the way back down and start over at 48 at 53. You know, like it it becomes more 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 and more difficult. And so I definitely always try to make sure that I'm gaining clarity on a, you know, monthly, quarterly, annual basis for not just what my life looks like in the next 12 months, but what it looks like in the next 60 months, and then what it looks like in the next 120 months. That's interesting
1: time horizons, the the five-year and Uh, 10-year. How realistic do you think that is? You say something, I'm going to do this in in five years. Is it just, you know, here's what I want to do for the next five years, or here's where I want to get to? Or how do you get it?
0: Yeah, I, I, when I'm looking at like that far in in advance, it's less specific in terms of like this dollar amount or you know this client number or whatever. Because I know a lot of those things are going to fluctuate, and I'm going to learn more, and I'm going to get new information, and maybe it doesn't look the way that I think it's going to look. But in terms of like an overall view of what I want my daily life to look like, like a day in the life of Travis Chapel, what is that I like in that. ten years from now? Um, and how do I engineer my life in a way that allows me to have that version someday? When I wake up, what's the view that I want to wake up to? What's the um, quality of life I want to have? What car am I getting in to drive to the gym? Do I have a gym in my house? Is a trainer coming to my house to help me work out here? Do they do I have a chef like preparing my meals for me so that I can eat really good food and still stay healthy and in shape? What what are the things that I want on a daily basis, how do I want to be living my life and then how do I engineer? What I'm working on to be able to turn that life into not just a dream but a reality
1: so looking at it from the the outside you know podcast going down that road, uh, what have been the, the big surprises uh, along the journey you know from when you started of uh, thinking here's the big goal and, and where you are today
0: I, I wanted to be just a podcaster at the time not to have a business, and that changed you know like a year and a half, two years in when I realized that like Oh, growing a podcast audience is going to just is, it's just going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a a commitment to consistent quality effort over a long period of time. That's the only real way to build an audience in anything, uh, YouTube or podcast. Like the the meaningful platforms, which I would categorize as YouTube and podcasting. Other other platforms, I think, are a little fickle, um, and they're not worth creating full time for unless you're the massive creators on the platform. Like TikTok and Instagram are just going to be difficult. Um, from a variety of standpoints. So like podcasting and YouTube to me are the more meaningful places to create that or like a newsletter, something where you own the data. Is My point is is like, it's just going to take consistent effort for quality work over a long period of time. But so I realized that pretty early on and it was like, if I want to get away from doing this door to door thing, then I'm going to have to embrace this learning how to build an online business You know, thought sooner rather than later. The last couple of years have been really dedicated to that building software. We raised a round of funding. Then we've started an agency that went to seven figures our first year. But now we have the agency, we have the software. And now, for the first time in like two years, I'm really starting to focus back into my podcast and kind of like getting that same, getting that, uh, that hunger back when I started my show to make it like my full time thing. I'm starting to get that back underneath my, um, back under my skin, kind of in my strategy. Um, cause that was a question I asked myself recently. I just recently wrote out, like, what do I want my life to look like in five years from now? Like a month ago, it was, uh, another reminder that like, you know what, I really do like this content creation stuff, but only for the things that I really like doing. So it enables me to say no to the things that I don't want to do anymore. And sets me up to be in a position in 5 years from now where I think I'll really enjoy what I do. Um, and we've learned so much in the last few years about how to market the show and stuff like that. So we're going to be doing a big rebrand and relaunch of my podcast um, at the beginning of January. And then uh, we have a fairly decent... Ad budget to go uh, acquire more subscribers and downloads for our show so that we can start turning on sponsorships on a level that we've never done before. So um, there's, a, there's a few things like that that I'm excited for that I wouldn't have known to do had I not taken that kind of moment of clarity to figure out what I want. It's really, really good. A lot of people start shows, they'll
1: start a podcast and then get eight episodes in and it kind of fizzles out or maybe 10 or 20. What yep. is the secret to longevity and keeping it going?
0: It's just the commitment, man. It's the commitment because that's going to be the only thing that keeps you in it on, the, di- on the, like, the times where you're like, man, I've been doing this for 12, 14 months and I still have 300 downloads an episode. Why the hell am I doing this? Right. Like, Like, you have to ask yourself the question if this takes me 10 years, but I still get X result from it, will those 10 years be worth it? And that to me was always a resounding yes. To me, it's like, even if I took 10 years from now, like so we're we're just starting on YouTube. So I kind of had I I remade this commitment to myself recently because we've been doing podcasting for over 5 years. But I remade this commitment to myself recently because we just started on YouTube. I'm like, look, it's going to be worse for me in terms of expectations because I've been doing this for so long, but YouTube's a different beast. So if we start on YouTube and by the end of this year we we go from 0 subs to 2400 subs, like I have to be okay with that result because I know that this is a long-term commitment to consistent quality content over a long period of time. But in, no. if, but if in 10 years I wake up and I have 8 million YouTube subscribers, like that's a good scenario and it will be worth the work that I'm putting into it at the, at the moment, even though it doesn't feel like it is right now. Right. And everything that I've learned over the last few years has always been like, oh, you see this hockey stick level growth if you commit to something for a long period of time. Because at the beginning you're doing all the, the the garbage that nobody wants to do, and so once you can wade through that garbage, that's when you start getting to the point where it's like, oh, not only is this fun, but it's actually really working and things are going well. Um, so for me, it's just like I had to recommit recently to, hey, we're gonna we're doing a five year commitment again to learn YouTube. You know, so like 2023 is our year one on YouTube. We'll manage and, and see what it looks like. Hopefully, all the stuff that I've worked on in the last 5-plus years will give me an advantage to growing on YouTube because uh, we're not necessarily starting from scratch. But you know, I'm prepared for the worst in that aspect. Like If we start on YouTube and like I said, we have 1800 subs at the end of the year, it's like, Alright, well, let's see what 2024 has in store. What about 2025? Because to me, the, the asset of an audience is the best asset that you can have in any business. Agree. The Rock proves that over and over, Mark Wahlberg proves that over and over, yep. Ryan Reynolds proves that over and over, these guys that are out here acquiring and building mm-hmm. massive businesses and companies. Like the Rock will make billions of dollars on just his tequila brand. Just that one thing. Yep. He'll make more on his tequila brand than he will on everything he's ever done combined on one company. It's not because he's an, uh, a tequila connoisseur. It's because he's not he's a master
1: distiller, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's why <laughs> Zoa is the fastest growing energy drink brand in the world. That's why whenever he drops a new merch drop with Under Armour, it sells out in an hour and breaks their site. It has nothing to do with, oh, the merch is that good. It's right. just because The Rock has 200 and something million followers on Instagram, probably top 10 most famous people in the world at this point. Like He can do whatever he wants and it will be successful to a certain extent. So... If I can mirror that in any sort of a context, even if it's one 1,000th of the size of his audience, and I wake up in 10 years from now and I'm 40, and I have an audience that gives me distribution to be able to build or sell or create value in whatever industry or field I want to and have it be successful to a certain extent guaranteed because I took the last 10-15 years and built an audience of people who actually care about me because I added value to their life for that long. like. Sign me up. Like, it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? It's going to suck for the first three or four years when you're in the trenches and you're putting all this content out and nobody gives a shit. But at some point, like, it's going to pay off because you're going to get better. The stuff that you're putting out is going to increase in quality. It's going to increase in consistency. It's going to increase in your audience size. You're going to learn how to advertise better. You're going to gain subscribers here. You're going to be like a staple in the industry. People are going to start to get to know you. Like everything starts happening on the second five years. We're on this. We're, we just started into our five and a half years now on podcasting. I think in the next five years, the results that I've gotten to this point are going to be on like a monthly basis in five years from now. Like I think that we're very much at the beginning of seeing some results on all the effort that we put in over the last five years. And then on YouTube, it'll be our first five years. So I I just think that people completely and severely underestimate. Uh, what what it takes to get to that point. Um, and so when you're starting the show, starting something from scratch right now, just understand that if you don't have deep pockets and a big bank account, like if you're not gonna spend a million dollars plus on marketing your show from the get-go, it's gonna be a slow build and it's gonna be a slow grind. It's just how it is. You know what I mean? Like Reed Hoffman yeah. blew up Masters of Scale instantly when he launched that show, but he just sold LinkedIn for a billion dollars. So he spent a ton of money on advertising and made the show instantly popular. And had the credibility of being the LinkedIn founder, though, so, like, yeah, he grew up, he blew up like immediately. But unless you're him, or unless you're already a movie star or already an athlete or already somebody famous or or something like that, like you're going, it's just understand it's gonna be a slow build. Even if you just exited your company for $14 million, like you're still gonna have to spend years building an audience, or you need to spend money on marketing to, to grow your audience. Um, but the 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 punchline is it's going to take a long period of time. So if you're not committed to doing it over the long term, don't start.
1: I think that's really, really good advice. A lot of companies kind of dabble. And so we're gonna launch a podcast. We'll give it six episodes and see what happens. And then they're right. like, oh, we didn't get any results and we're done.
0: Right. I can tell you what's gonna happen. You know what I mean? Like, don't waste the time. Don't right. waste the time creating the six episodes. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna launch and then you're gonna get. You know, 300 downloads uh, on your first episode, and then maybe 800 on your second episode because you send it to your email database, and you're going to get excited. Then episode seven is going to come along, and you're going to get 200 downloads. You're going to be like, "This is stupid, right?" Like it's going to be a long time. The question you have to ask yourself is, "Do I want the result that bad?" If you don't care about the result, then then don't start.
1: Right? Do something oh. else.
0: Right. But if you're looking at the end and you're like, you know what? If I did fast forward in 10 years and I did have a million subscriber YouTube channel, or I fast forward in 10 years and I did have a hundred thousand downloads an episode on my podcast, like I would be really, really happy with that. Cool. Then get started now because the time is the only barrier. Yes.
1: Yeah. Best time to plant a tree 25 years ago. Next best right. time is right now.
0: That A. Yep.
1: And it's, it's not so much about getting 200 million followers like The Rock, but it's getting slightly famous in your space. Micro and, fans uh, and maybe right, right, yep. and and that may be two thousand, maybe it's two hundred thousand, yeah. maybe it's fifty thousand
0: I was looking at um onyx singall, he's um, a big time marketer who runs a nine figure business, yeah, um he was writing this post the other day about because uh, Kevin Kelly wrote this thing about a thousand true fans, you know if you have a thousand true fans, you can build whatever 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 you want to build, you'll never go hungry with a thousand true fans, right, and so Onyx's whole point was like, I think it's a hundred it's like i've I've built you know, several eight figure companies off of the back of a hundred true fans. So it's like, you don't have to have the rock size audience to have life-changing results. Now, if you want to make money on sponsorships and like views, then you're going to need more than a hundred. Right. But the point remains the same is like, you just need to get started because the only way to build the audience is one at a time. Yeah. It is definitely that time and investment.
1: Well, where can people find out more about you and about guestio online?
0: Yeah. So you can go to travischappell.com to find out anything more about me. C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L, um, travischappell.com. Uh, all of my social links are over there. My podcast is over there. Um, Guestio is over there. If you want to go directly to Guestio, it's just guestio.com. Guestio.com. And uh, you can sign up for a free account and get started for free today over Guestio uh, or uh, reach out to me, say what's up. Um, always happy to chat. Fantastic. And we'll make sure to link all of those
1: in the show notes. Travis, really enjoyed our conversation today.
0: Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks again to Travis for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. As always, all highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. So please subscribe and follow us while you're there on your favorite platform. Everyone who subscribes this week, you get a George Mason coffee mug to remind you that underdogs are awesome and that we're cheering for you all the time. Join us next time where we will meet a founder who is revolutionizing fintech, Brett Barlow, CEO of Every. He is disrupting the two-week pay cycle and making instant paychecks a reality while also tripling the company's revenue under his leadership. That's pretty cool. Brett is a recognized marketing and sales genius. So be sure and join us next time as we learn more about his journey. And he's got some great insights for us of building a SaaS company. And a week from today on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series is Mickey Kennedy, founder of E-Releases, a press release distribution services that helps small business and startups increase their visibility and credibility. Over 24 years of experience in the industry, he is a true expert in press release marketing and can't wait to hear his insights and advice. And interestingly enough, he has a master's degree from George Mason University, a little before their basketball tournament run. But still, very cool connection. We'll go out there and do the unimaginable, the unthinkable, the incredible this week. And I'll see you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey.
0: Thanks for listening to SAS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on
1: future episodes.